I, with your permission, not that if you don't give me permission, I, I'm still going to do it anyway, I guess, but hopefully you'll, you'll give me permission. If the young people are going to go, they can go. Uh, but with your permission, I'm going to deviate a little, well, a lot from our series. I was doing more study today and just felt the Lord nudge me in a different direction. And we'll, we'll pick up that series again on the book of Hebrews. And I was actually studying uh, more on the book of Hebrews. There's incredible truths that are contained in there. And I don't want to, to lose it uh, or lose the continuity of it. And I don't think we will. But we are, are facing a, a, a day coming up next week that, that's a little bit trepidatious as we look to next Tuesday, November the 7th, when we will elect uh, a new president, we'll elect new government officials, there will be amendments that are going to be voted on and passed or failed. And so in my office, as I was studying, I just felt that nudging, and I want to... Uh, uh, preach to you or, or teach, I don't, I don't even know how to say it, maybe just to let you know, a Christian's guide to the 2016 election. If you're here today and you want me to tell you who to vote for, you'll have to ask me privately in my office. I'm not going to do that across this pulpit. But I think that there are some principles and there are some some things in the Word of God that ought to direct us. And um, I, I, they tell me that the quickest way to lose your friends is to talk about religion or talk about politics. We'll do both of them tonight, and hopefully at the end of the day, you'll still consider me a friend. But if you have your Bibles, and I'm going to read just one verse, and then I'm going to do a lot of talking. I'm going to weave together historical quotes so that you get an idea of where we are in uh, Bible verses. And, and when we're done, I hope maybe you have a better understanding of, of what an election really means. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2. Remember the book of Proverbs. One day I'm going to do a series on this. The book of Proverbs is Solomon's, uh, King Solomon's memoirs in a sense. Or words of wisdom that he wanted to give his son. And this is what he says in Proverbs 29 and verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Let me read this in the New Living Translation. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked are in power, they groan. Now this was Solomon writing this to his son. When Solomon died, you had the splitting of the kingdom of Israel. You had, you had Rehoboam and you had Jeroboam. Both of those, uh, uh, I think Rehoboam was, was Solomon's son. Jeroboam was not. It split the kingdom. And from that point on, you saw a, a up and down, up and down, where it would say, and this king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then the next king, this king, did everything that was wrong in the sight of the Lord. And so Solomon knew what he was talking about. The kings that, that Israel begged and pleaded, they, they wanted a king. Uh, it was never in God's plan to have kings necessarily over Israel. But, but they wanted a king, just like they, they saw everybody else have a king. And it's like your mom used to say to you, if everybody was going to jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? My response one time was, maybe. And then after I picked myself up off the floor, I decided that wasn't the proper response. The answer is, no ma'am. And that's how that works. But uh, we understand that. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. It's been said, and 
we live in an interesting age. Now, if you don't have Facebook or you don't like social media, that's okay, I understand. But the fact is that social media has become an ingrained factor in the life of 2016. And um, it, it, it's good, it's bad, and I don't, you know, that's why I don't, you don't see me comment a whole lot on, on it because I've learned that it's better. My mama taught me, and I have learned from you, Mom. My mom told me if I'd keep my mouth shut 99% of the time, I wouldn't get in any trouble. And she's right. When I was at school, if I could keep my mouth shut, I'd get straight A's. But when I started talking, that's when the grades went down. But uh, I have seen everything go through uh, the, the, the Facebook and the Twitter. I have seen just incredible, you know, the politics are, are, throw, are, are going, the mudslinging is going, and, and all of that. I understand, and I'm going to be the first to tell you, we are not electing a pastor. We're not electing a, 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 a Christian role. We are electing a president, which means they're probably a politician. And I don't know that there's a perfect answer out there. And uh, you and I, we've been just absolutely, it's been shoved in our face, political ads, some that say we're stronger together, others say we'll make America great again. It's double speak and mudslinging and about every kind of psychological tactic known to man and, and uh, I, I understand that. We see videos of people stealing the signs out of people's yards and people putting spike strips in front of it. And I saw one video where they, they hooked up an electrical current to the, to the uh, sign and when they had a security feed and the person went to grab the electrical sign, it blew them back. It's been not a very good electing time. But I would like to help you tonight, by the help of the Lord, to know how to vote. And while I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, I believe the word of God is clear. And, and, and by the time we're done, let the word of God speak to you. In 1883, in Allentown, New Jersey, how many of you have ever seen, and now they're relegated to uh, flea markets and, and antique shops. There's not too many cigar stores out and about now, but in 1883 there was. How many of you have seen those wooden Indians that they always used to put uh, in front of the cigar shops? And, and so uh, in 1883 in Allenton, New Jersey, this wooden Indian was placed on the ballot for the justice of the peace under the fictitious name of Abner Robbins. When they got done counting the votes, they found that the wooden Indian named Abner had won over the incumbent Sam Davis by seven votes. I don't know how that worked out. It could have been better. In, a, in, in 1938, a similar thing happened. In 1938, the name Boston Curtis appeared on the ballot for the Republican committee man from Wilton, Washington. But to be honest, Kurt, or Boston Curtis was a mule. In fact, it was the town's mayor that put his mule on the ballot to demonstrate that people knew very little about the candidates and they were just voting because of voting and he proved his point because in 1980 or 1938, the mule won. There's a lot of jokes I could talk about that, but I'm not. William Simon said this, bad politicians are sent to Washington by good people who don't vote. Now, I'm going to read a lot of quotes because I, I want you to understand 
where our nation and how our nation was founded. And so in doing so, I'm going to take you uh, through some quotes of our, of, of, of our founding fathers. One of them that I, I think is, is about the best voting advice that I can give you came from John Quincy Adams. And this is what he said. Always vote for principle, though you may vote alone. You may cherish the sweetest reflection that your vote is never lost. And the idea is if you vote for principle. You know, um, now we, we see the, this in, in American Idol. I don't know how many years American Idol has been going. We see it in America's Got Talent. There's so many things. Our kids are voting. We vote by, uh, uh, you know, text your vote in and you can win. And it was said that, um, uh, the, uh, uh, the, I forget when this American Idol was, but it was said that on one day, 63 million votes were cast. Now, you could vote more than once in this uh, way, but there were 43 million people tuned in to that finale, and they, they voted, and, and they wanted to make a difference. They may have voted for the best-looking one. They may have voted for the one they knew the best, but, but voting is starting to be there, and so uh, marketers know how to appeal to the voters. They know how to do that. And uh, I want to talk to you. Uh, do you know what the word idiot means? This is what the word idiot means. Are you ready? An uneducated, ignorant, ill-informed person. And so the key is, I don't want you to be an idiot. I want you to be informed. And I want you to make the right decisions. The, this election, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of this. This election is a key moment in the, the timing of our world. Uh, as you begin to look, I, I'm convinced that this election, there's a weight upon this election and, and those that are coming that will help. Not that any man can know the day or the hour, and I'm not about to tell you I can tell you when the Lord is coming back. But as you read the Word of God, you realize that before the Lord comes back, there are certain things, there are certain uh, things in, in Bible prophecy that have to come into place. And when I look at this election, I realize that this election could possibly uh, define some of those biblical prophecies as they begin to occur. But you and I are not, afforded the luxury of just saying, this doesn't apply to me, I don't have to vote, it doesn't matter. I want to tell you a little bit about what the Bible says concerning civil governments. First and foremost, Psalms chapter 47 and 8 says that God reigneth over the heathen, and God sitteth upon the throne of holiness. Can I tell you that on, on uh, November the 8th, which is a Wednesday when we wake up, or if you stayed up all night to watch all of the the the, the Reports coming in, regardless of who is going to win, regardless of lawsuits or whatever may come, and we fight that battle, it doesn't matter. The Lord will still be in charge. The Lord will still be our divine ruler. It doesn't matter if a dictator is elected or a democracy is elected. God is in control. You say, how can God be in control? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, Daniel said it this way, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel said, Blessed be the man of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changeth the times and the season. He removes kings, he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and light dwelleth in him. Or Proverbs 21, he says, A king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water, and he turneth it whithersoever he 
will. Now, now listen carefully. That doesn't mean that, that God likes every vote that happens and every election that takes place. I'm not saying that God is necessarily going to orchestrate the ballot and stuff the ballot one way or the other. It still lies within the electoral college. It lies within your vote and my vote. But this I can tell you, that nothing is going to catch the Lord by surprise. And the Lord knows, he knows right now what that end, uh, outcome is going to be. And the Lord knows what's going to happen come the inauguration. And God knows what's going to happen four years from now. The Lord knows and it's going to work out because it's either going to hasten, if you will, his coming or it's going to give a respite for a while, a reprieve and, and maybe a, a little bit more time on earth for someone to come to the knowledge of God. Those civil governments, as much as we don't like them sometimes and as much as we want to bash them, can you, uh, do you understand that God ordained civil government? Romans 13 says, Every soul is subject unto higher powers, and there is no power but of God and the powers that are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall themselves receive damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. Basically it says, God, uh, all authority comes from God, and those in the positions of authority have been placed there by God. And if you rebel against authority, you're rebelling against what God has instituted. Now I'm going to come back to that, and, and there is one caveat that I'm going I'm to place. Uh, not only are civil governments ordained by the Lord, but civil governments, God says we are to obey those that have rule over us. Uh, Paul told Timothy, young man, he said, I exhort you that first off, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. Pray for them, intercede for them, bring those supplications unto the Lord for those men but then he, he, he says, no, I know I put all men, but let me just kind of break all men. And Paul said, i gotta, I got to break it down. Verse 2 says, for kings and for all that, in, that are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior. We are to obey. Now the caveat is this. We obey man. As long as it doesn't supersede God's law. At the end of the day, God's law reigns supreme. You can see that in the New Testament. That it was Paul. How many, we just read that. Uh, uh, second, or first Timothy, rather. In fact, let me, let, me, let me read you a few others. So first off, Paul himself said, you have to obey. You need to obey those that have rule over you and you need to intercede. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, this was Jesus. He, they, they said, uh, they were trying to trick Jesus. They said, are we supposed to give uh, tribute unto Caesar? Are we supposed to pay tax unto Caesar? Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why are you tempting me, you hypocrites? Show me your money. So they reached in their pocket or their purse or whatever it was. They pulled out a coin and he says, whose image is on the coin? And they said, well, Caesar. He said, then... Render therefore unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God. First Peter, this is Peter talking, so we've had, we've had Paul talking, we've had Jesus talking, now we have Peter talking. 
Peter says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise for them that do well. It's the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Honor all men, verse 17 says. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. That's what he, he said. So you had three different voices, and there's others I could have pulled, three different voices, Paul, Jesus, and Peter's, that said we are to obey civil government. But you can take the lives of those three, and you can find that there is a limit to where you obey. It was Paul that, that ultimately died for his, his belief. They said, you know, stop preaching. He says, well, that's one thing I can't obey. And so the point is this. This is not license to do wrong by by, by God when man says it's okay. The highest law is this, God's law. And God's law, God's word is still higher than man or government. And I'm going to mention more about that in a little bit. But we come to, and I, I really do hope each one of you vote. And I, I hope that you've gone out. Uh, our kids are actually off school those two days, and so we're going to, we take our kids out and do something. And so uh, yesterday, Brienne and I, we went and, and voted early. And I got my little voting sticker. And I, I did that duty. And, and I want to just remind you why we can. The 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says, It's the right of citizens of the United States to vote, and they shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. The 15th Amendment said that our slaves had the right to vote. In, in night, that was 1870, by the way. In 1920, the 19th Amendment came to be. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. This meant women could vote, 1920. The 24th Amendment in 1964 says that even if you haven't paid your taxes, you can still vote. And then in 1971, the 26th Amendment came and it gave the right to vote to anyone who was 18 years or older, they could vote. The best way to understand the government in which you live it was made by Abraham Lincoln. He said the democracy is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And I know that any time, any time, the very mention of a church or a pastor talking about the election process, it ignites a fury of the separation of church and state. And, and, and I understand some of the legal ramifications of that. But can I remind you that the Bill of Rights, it states in the very first amendment, it says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of press or the right of people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Let me tell you, this does not mean that as a Christian we shouldn't get involved in the matters of election. In fact, what it meant was, if you and I know they don't always uh, translate this as such, but what that First Amendment says is the government shouldn't get involved in the matters of the church, not the matters of the church getting involved in the election process. Just want you to understand that. George Washington wrote this. He said, The man must be bad indeed 
who can look upon the events of the American Revolution without feeling the warmest gratitude toward the great author of the universe, whose divine interposition was so frequently manifested in our behalf, and it is, our, or it is my earnest prayer that we may so conduct ourselves as to merit a continuance of those blessings with which we have hitherto been favored. Or Benjamin Franklin said it this way, I've lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it more probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writing, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I therefore beg leave to more that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations to be held in this assembly before we proceed to business that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. That was what Benjamin Franklin said. And so you and I, we play an important role. John Jay, the first, first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and one of those three men most responsible for our U.S. Constitution, said that providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is our duty as well as the privilege and interest, and, and this is so key, of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. That's what, what he said. Abraham Lincoln, I know I'm reading a lot of quotes, but I just want you to grab the, the, what, what, what those men that we hold dear and we look as, as great men of our country. I want you to see what they said. Abraham Lincoln said this, God rules this world. It is the duty, and na- it's the duty of nations as well as men to owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow and to recognize the sublime truths that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. All of that we could see. And if I could say one more thing that Abraham said one day uh, Abraham Lincoln one day Abraham Lincoln was asked this question they said Abraham you know Mr. Mr. President uh, we're fighting the Civil War you've got the Confederate you've got the Union whose side is the Lord on and Abraham Lincoln who was a pretty smart man said I'm not concerned at all about that for I know that the Lord is always on the side of right And it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation be on the Lord's side. This Tuesday coming up, I realize that you'll go behind that little booth. Some of it's not even booths, it's just those science fair project boards it looks like. And as you step behind that curtain, so to speak... You will, some of you will step behind there as a Republican. Some of you will step behind there as a Democrat. Perhaps some of you will step behind there and vote as an independent or maybe even a member of the Green Party. But I hope and pray that you realize your allegiance does not lie with a party, but it lies with Jesus Christ. It's why Paul said in Philippians, but we are citizens of heaven. 
where the Lord Jesus lives and we're eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He said in Ephesians chapter 2, Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. So how are you going to vote Tuesday, November the 7th, I think. November the 7th. 8th. November the 8th, 2016. Who do you vote for? What issues do you support or what issue do you vote against? Again, let me read to you in the book of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus' words. He said this way, generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and the evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that a man speak shall speak. They shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. I understand completely that that verse um, means the words that you and I speak or the thoughts that we think. But I am convinced that we also shall be held accountable to our votes as well. You cannot profess Christ and vote against the things of morality. As one of the writers says, you're either for Christ or against him. When you vote Tuesday, you're not voting as a Republican. You're not voting as a Democrat. You're not voting as an Independent. You're going to vote, or you better vote, as a child of God. Which means you don't vote, you don't elect, you don't choose a candidate based on their commitment to putting money, so to speak, back in your pocket. You don't vote on a candidate because they dress nice. You don't vote on a candidate based on what party they are. You need to vote on a candidate based on their commitment to morality and the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, and the things of God. I, I, don't, I understand. There, I don't know that any of our candidates, whether it's a national or local, I don't know that any of them are saved. You'd have to ask them that and, and like that. So we're not voting on a person. We're voting on where they stand. One of the things that I'm, I, I really believe, and, and, if, and I don't, I'm not a, a huge political buff. There's many of you that, that, that excites you far more than it excites me. I just find it sad that our voting of president falls right in the middle of bow season and the, the rut and all of that. and So that's, that's how I feel. But I do know enough about the working of our nation and the working of things that are coming that one of the key issues, and I want you to think about this hard, one of the key issues with this next president is the formation of the Supreme Court. Uh, I, there's currently a, a, a vacancy in the Supreme Court, which means the next president will will most likely put a, a person there. When you look at the ages, the current ages of several of our Supreme Court justices, you realize that very possibly in the next four years and most likely within eight years, we will uh, elect a, or not elect, but appoint a majority of people to this Supreme Court and that will set in motion the Supreme Court very possibly for the rest of your life maybe even the rest of my life, when you look at how long they serve. Which means when the issue of marriage comes up as it has, that Supreme Court that's, that's appointed by the President is going to be there. When you vote on Tuesday, 
I want you to remember that. I want you to remember Paul when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he keeps going in Romans 1 and he says that there was a moment that they knew, even though they knew God, they glorified God not as God. They weren't thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. They professed themselves to be wise and they became fools. And if you keep going, it says, for this cause. God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use unto that which was against nature. And likewise men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly, receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, error which was meat. That's one thing. As you vote, the sanctity of marriage is key. There's candidates there. You can see it. It doesn't take more than two strokes on a Google uh, thing. It doesn't take more than you opening up some of the mail that you've received to understand which candidates support or don't support homosexuality or even go so far as to give support or pull support for homosexual marriage. They want it to be legal. And in many of our states, it's, it's, it's legal. And they're fighting that. It's currently wrapped up in Supreme Court right now. And, and you know where I stand. That's one of those things that I'll go to jail for. Because I'm never going to stop preaching the word of God. It doesn't matter if television says it's okay. It doesn't matter if books say it's okay. It doesn't matter if our schools are trying to promote it. It's still a sin. And I personally cannot vote for someone that supports that sin. And if I vote for someone who supports homosexuality, I feel that I would be accountable for that when I reach the judgment seat for supporting that with my vote. The issue of abortion, I believe, is key. But I'm going to tell you right now, we're already seeing that it, it, it's, it's going beyond abortion. It's going to legal suicide. It's going to euthanasia. It's the sanctity of life. Jesus said 18, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 2, And Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of him and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble themselves as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such child in my name, receiveth me. But if you offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it's better for you that a rock, a millstone, were hung around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. That sanctity of life. I know the words abortion, euthanasia, embryonic stem cell research, they don't appear in the Bible. But neither does life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Is that found per se in the Bible? But this I do know, that God values human life. We see it that men and women were created in the image of God. We were distinct from animals that cannot reason, Jude chapter 1. That God has endued, imbued rather you and I with that metaphoric crown of glory and honor. What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man thou visiteth him? We know that before our conception, our lives have a purpose. Jude and Psalms and Galatians, before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you, the Lord said. God values those unborn, pre-born babies. 
watches over them. You can read that, Psalms 139. The active role of, 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 of the development of a person from, a, from, a, from conception on, God uses special words for that. David, I think it was David, Psalms 139 that says, The Lord knit me together. I mean, I know we don't think this way, but if you know what knitting is or crocheting, you see somebody and they're working and, and it kind of, they're, they're building a sock or a stocking, you, it takes a while, but pretty soon you can see it begin to form. That's the same way that God looks at you and I. Your hands form me. Words like, you clothe me with skin and flesh and wove me together with bones and tendons, like Job said. It's a sanctity of life. And so when you step behind that curtain or that voting booth, those are the issues. And there's a lot more, and I don't have all the time to go over it. Those are the things that matter. You vote not as a Republican. You vote not as a Democrat. You ought to vote as a child of God. Do you know everything? No. Will politicians lie to get your vote? Yes. Will they change horses in the middle of the stream? Yes. But that's why I could go back to John Quincy Adams that says a vote for principle is never a lost vote. And so you and I, we need to participate in this election. We don't vote because of race. We don't vote for the wealth. We don't vote for the issues. We don't vote for the economy necessarily. We vote according to God's word and we are called to pray I want to invite you to stand today and let me, let me go back to 1st Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 I exhort you therefore that first of all supplication, prayers, intercessions and the giving of thanks be made to all men for kings and for all that are in authority that we meet that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. There's two very distinct ways that you ought to do that. Number one, we pray for this election. Lord, your will. God, if it's so, if you so choose to bring a peace and bring a a, a, a righteousness, so to speak, back into our country. We're going to thank you for that. But on Wednesday, when all the votes have been tallied, and we know the outcome, even if the one you voted for didn't make it, we're still called to pray for those in leadership. I was looking through the Bible and you realize that some of the worst leaders of all time. You have Pharaoh, but you had a Moses that was able to go into a Pharaoh's court. You have a, a uh, Darius, King Darius. But you go back to Cyprus. Cy, uh, can't pull the name right now, but there were several of them. Belshazzar, there was one before Belshazzar. But for those, they had three Hebrew children. And they had 
Daniel. You could keep going. There was men like Ezra that, that had a voice in the court. People like Paul that could go into uh, Caesar's palace, that could go into Herod's palace, could go into others. Felix, the governor. So regardless of who's elected, there still needs to be a God-filled voice. And even if that God-filled voice only affects O'Fallon and the surrounding areas, we're blessed because of that. Which is why I participate in the praying, the invocations at our city council. Because I believe so much in that understanding of pray for our kings, for those who have rule over us. And I want us to do that right now. Just right where you are. I'm going to put the mic down for a moment. And I think we need to pray for our vote. We need to pray for what's going to happen, the direction of our nation. That God, you are still God. We're still your people. And Lord, we need your touch. Would you begin to pray?